welcome to episode four of what was formerly called Higher Learning, which has now since been rebranded to Common Sense EMEA because there is not 50,000 other things with that same name. So we are joined today by David Kunick. He is a, a physical therapist. He is a business consultant. He is a investing advisor for cannabis companies. If you've been to a cannabis conference in the last, I don't know, five years or so, and you've seen the man walking around in a custom-made three-piece suit adorned with weed leaves, that's my friend David. He is here uh, to talk to us today about his entrepreneurial journey, um, what's taken him to where he is today. And, and, and we're going to be talking a little bit about New Jersey, too, which is where he's from, which is just past legalization um, and are, are starting to already take steps um, to move into an adult use marketplace. So with that, David, thank you so much for joining us today on Common Sense EMEA. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, thanks for having me, Will. Really do appreciate it. And uh, thank you for having me here today. It's my pleasure. You are uh, one of the uh, first sort of, I don't know how to like say this uh, without insulting everybody else, but like <laughs> you were like first, one of the first like adults I met <laughs> uh, at, a, at a conference. Uh, and I only mean to say like you um, were one of the first guys I met in the cannabis industry that sort of had a professional candor about him that, you know, could talk business um, outside of, uh, you know, growing cannabis could talk about um, scaling a business. You, you know, you you had a you had a air of you that uh, just screamed to me, uh, "This dude's professional." Not to mention the fact that you were you know wearing your suit, and I was like, "Who's this guy? I got to know him." Well, um, well, well, let's take it a step further. It's uh, and I, I get what you're trying to say, but what I always tell people is that uh, when I, sometimes I do interviews like this, and you make a comment like that, it's more of um. I may have been one of the, one of the first uh, business professionals with Definitely. experience. And, and that's really comes down to is that you have a lot of people who are doing stuff in the block market, but they never yeah. did anything legit and had the really proper business experience. And um, yeah, and, and for what it's worth, I include myself in that lump of majority. Like I was definitely, you know, I, I had a career before cannabis, but I was not, you know, I was a noob. I did not know anything. Um, you know, and that's that's what I mean to say. Like in an industry that was so new, when I first met you, you had already seemed like a, almost a veteran of the industry. Like you'd, you know, you knew all the people. You you'd bend all the things. You'd you know you made you'd already you know brokered a bunch of business deals. You were you were knee deep. You were sort of someone I think a lot of people like me probably looked up to. I, I for sure looked up to you. I still do. Um, I appreciate but, that. Thank you. Yeah, it, it just but in just terms of like. Uh, you seemed like you'd kind of been there already. Yeah. You know, you'd, you'd been solidified yourself already. How did it happen? I mean, where did so you get that like, suit from, first of all? Let's talk about uh, that. So, so the suit is, uh, I will not reveal where I bought it online, but as I tell everyone, <sighs> it's uh, a suit called Google. And it's this amazing search engine called Google. You can find it really simple. Um, Google. Google, yes. Brand new concept. And, and I still say one of the funniest things to this day when people talk to me about that, that suit, they're like, hey, man, don't be a jerk. Just tell me where you got it. I'm like, dude, just Google it. Like, it, just Google pot leaf suit or cannabis leaf suit, and it's going to pop up very quickly. Now, now I, will say place. <laughs> I will say this, that I do have a new custom-made sports jacket being made. 
and COVID delayed delayed it being landed over here from Europe. But I had a I had a professional one made with a custom made inside lining and everything. So in 2021, when the conference scene comes up, you'll see a new jacket. I can't wait. Um, and, and you know, it sounds like we're kind of joking, but the the suit is. For me as an observer, and I, I'm, I'm actually going to put this to you, and I don't want to get, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves already with, with getting into it. I want to know about more where you came from, but the suit is a calling card for you. I, I mean, I can think in, the, you know, the 20 or so conferences I've been to, maybe I've seen one other person with, with that suit. It's, you know, it's, it's when you come home from a conference with a bag full of a thousand business cards, right? I'm more going to, I'm more apt to remember you because you stood out and, and you, you know, you were original human, not to mention the fact that you're, you, you know, extremely intelligent and, and know what you're talking about. Is that, is that the case? Is this, so, you know, like, is, so here comes the remember the suit. Yeah. So pretty much what it came down to was, uh, and here's a story behind the suit and why the suit came up. So I got involved in cannabis back in 2009 and we were covering, um, online health and wellness for people and for their pets. So back in 2009, 2010, we were producing a hundred articles every day on health and wellness. And that includes CBD for dogs. And that include uh, medical marijuana for, for adults. And, it, and that was back in 2009, 2010, when it wasn't that cool to be in cannabis yet. And I've been to every uh, MJ Biz conference ever, even like the very first one, like held in a gym in Colorado, like less than 500 people showing up. So it was actually, we were at a conference at uh, MJ Biz, the first one they did in Vegas. And I looked around and, you know, we weren't getting enough people to come to our booth. And we weren't, in my opinion, that do something that very memorable. So I said to myself, there has to be something out there. That's a, that's a conversation statement. That, that's a conversation starter. And I found this suit uh, online. Uh, I mean, back then, I got the suit back in 2012. And it was tough to find a suit back then. And when I did it, I was a little hesitant to wear it, but I'm 6'3", 250 pounds. I'm built like a linebacker from like Oklahoma. Like I stand out. And what's interesting is that, uh, Will, when you mentioned some of the other people that have worn the same exact suit I've worn, this sounds horrible to say, but usually like five foot five, five foot six, like a hundred nothing pounds. So like they blend in a little bit. Me, like I'm like a little big canvas <laughs> of a canvas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a conversation starter and it's to be memorable. And the totally. other thing is too is that when you go to some of these conferences and you have 5,000, 6,000 people walking around, 10,000 people, and you're trying to meet someone, for me, it's like, hey, look for the guy in the big canvas pot leaf jacket. That's me. You, you can't miss me. So it was very easy to find me if you, you had to do a meeting or a conversation. So that's pretty much how it started. <clears throat> and then from there, uh, depending on the event, like you talk about New Jersey, like events in New Jersey and New York, Sometimes the canvas, this, the jacket was too much. So I just wear the pants. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I just do that. There you go. You mix and match. Yeah, you mix and match. Exactly. And, and now the reason why I got the, the custom made canvas jacket, which would be debuted later in 2021 is the, 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 the industry has evolved and it's become more mature. You know, you're having a lot more serious business people involved in this industry. Uh, you have a lot more people who are really looking to, you know, be serious players. And, totally. and that's kind of why we evolved with the suit. But like still to this day, 
I wear the pants a lot more than I actually do the jacket. The, the pants are, are, are a huge conversation starter. I actually uh, just went to an in-person socially distant networking event in November and I wore the pants and it was a huge, huge hit after the election um, for the results. And then to answer your question, how uh, I got involved with Canvas, as I mentioned, we originally started off with uh, online information for people and their pets. But I actually also started a testing lab where we didn't grow cannabis and we didn't sell cannabis. We were kind of like the FDA of cannabis. And I had a testing lab in Denver, Colorado. Uh, we were one of the original labs in Las Vegas, um, as well as we had one in Portland, Oregon. And then from there, uh, I actually started a total of seven different cannabis companies in five different states. Um, and then sat on a few state boards in New Jersey, uh, Nevada, Maine, Rhode Island, and kind of assisted from there. And one of the things which I know I'm kind of jumping ahead, being a serial entrepreneur, something we do is actually for a while, uh, once a quarter, we were actually going up to the state of Maine and actually teaching a three-hour seminar on how to start your own company uh, in the cannabis industry and really giving back. Um, the one thing about this industry, which I think is really great, is there's a lot of people that want to help one another and, and be there for one another and, and really see each other grow. Absolutely. I uh, Well, you know, as I said to you before we started kind of in the in the interview here, you know, one of the reasons I started this, you know, doing this podcast was so that, you know, we could um, de demystify this a little bit more, which, you know, you've been doing for years. And I, and I think that was, again, a big part of, you know, a, a big thing I learned when I first met you was about, um, I don't want to say that the industry isn't sexy. It is. It's fun. It's, you know, there's, there's a lot of aggressive growth. Like there's a lot of things going on. But at the end of the day, this is a job. And even even more than that, it's it's an important job because um, the world looks to us as all these states kind of um, fall towards legalization. Right. Like we're, we're you know, a, a huge a huge responsibility is rests on the shoulders of, of these entrepreneurs who are uh, who are taking these you know, they're big chances. They're, they're still very risky businesses. Despite well, state let's, well, well, let's take it a step further. And, and sorry to interrupt you, but this is something I think is really important for everyone to hear on your podcast. Because something you know about me, Will, is that I talk about green nuggets of information. And part of my job as a medical practitioner is to empower people with information and knowledge. So each time someone listens to a podcast, you, know, you should be able to get one or two things. Absolutely. It's 2020. It's almost 2021. I got involved in this industry back in 2009 when it wasn't cool living in New Jersey and getting involved in this industry. Like, heck, I'm working with professional athletes and Olympic athletes as their physical therapists, but I'm also doing cannabis on the side. Like there was that balancing act. But where I'm going with this is that it's 2021 and the industry is becoming a lot more mature. 100%. People are taking this industry very seriously, like starting any other company. If you come at this half-assed, or you really don't know exactly what you want to do, you're not going to be serious, you're going to be left in the dust. Yeah, and I think that's like a, a, a lesson that a lot of, you know, quote, cannabis entrepreneurs learn very quickly because there is, a, a, you know, a certain allure. I say to my clients all the time, uh, and maybe you've heard me say that, like, we're still all pirates, very much. Um, I'm wearing an eye patch and I have a peg leg. Uh, and I'm telling you to walk off the plank. But the, the point is, is we are all still 
um, pioneers in an industry that for the most part doesn't exist. <laughs> it's, it, you know, on the federal level, it doesn't exist. Um, you know, so there is that huge responsibility to, um, to take it seriously, but also um, to treat it as if it were not only any other business, but that, you know, treat it as though you have the responsibility to um, push the normalization of, of, of this emerging marketplace to well, every well, other state and maybe every other country yeah, in the let, world. Let, let, let's take another step further. And this is a fun fact I tell people. Uh, in 2019 and also in 2020, one out of every three people we spoke to that want to open up their own business in this industry actually end up becoming an investor instead. Because why, because why is that? So because people say, oh, well, I use cannabis or I really like cannabis or, hey, I'm going to start a business. Great. What's your business experience? What's your business owner experience? What's your entrepreneur experience with? Just because I like eating pizza doesn't mean I'm going to go open up a pizza parlor. I like getting my hair cut every two weeks. Doesn't mean I'm going to go open up a barber shop. You know, what, what's your acumen to this? And then when you start to educate people on how much it's going to cost to enter the market, you know, how much money you're going to need to raise, all the politics behind it, all the red tape behind it, they go, ooh, this isn't that, that right. simple to open up a business. Maybe I'd just rather invest in a business instead and make money from it. And that's what we're really seeing is that you see a lot of people who say, oh, I really want to do my own thing. Then we start laying out the numbers and the time frame and what's the time take, frame. And they say, oh, maybe, maybe it'd be better for me just to invest instead. So, but that's a really thing, important thing to, to, to hear because I use the East Coast specifically about this. I talk uh, people from New York City, New Jersey, Philly. Uh, we have a lot of people who say, oh, I want to do something. And when we really break it down to them, we just educate, we empower with information and knowledge. They go, whoa, I only have like 150,000. I didn't know I was gonna need like two million dollars. Well, great, go yeah, take the hundred. Or ten years. Yeah, and go put <laughs> it into something else, and let the money work for you. Right. And, and then, and then the other thing is too is I tell people, are you re ready to commit to this full time, or point blank, work your full time job forty hours a week, and go work another thirty to thirty five hours a week doing this as well too? And people yep. are like, oh, and I, I, I'm very frank, like. Um, yeah, at one point I was running a publicly traded cannabis company and our investors didn't want to pay any of the board members salaries. So here I was working 50 hours a week or so for my own publicly traded company. And then I was uh, being a doctor of physical therapy and a doctor of healthcare management. I was treating patients another 35 hours a week. I was doing 85, 90 hours a week for about a year and a half, two years just to make things go and to make it work. Like it's just like any other business. How much are you going to sacrifice for it? That's what I mean about the allure of it is, is I think people, you know, um, and I, maybe I see this a little bit more, I'm not sure. I, I see this quite a bit, which is, you know, because of the nature of Santa planners and the work that we do, um, you know, we're often called number one or, you know, we're one between one and 10 in calls that people make when they're starting to do the, you know, the, the early invest, you know, due diligence of, yep. of, what they need to start their company. Um, and I have similar conversations with them. Like I want to know what their business plan is um, because, you know, at least 50% of the people calling us hadn't even thought that through. Um, you know, th there is a, there is a sexiness of, of weed, right? Like, you know, and, and, and to be fair, you know, to people listening, I, you know, I came from a, a career before cannabis, but that's kind of what brought me in. 
you know, I, I was, you know, I, I may have seen some dollar signs that, that I, that didn't actually exist um, and tried to figure out, you know, how do I fit in with this plant? Um, and I think to your point, um, to, to people listening who, you know, want to know how to get in, I think it's about adapting what you already do to cannabis, right? Unless you're opening a dispensary or you're, you know, growing weed, you know, you have to be able to add to the industry in some other way, you know, kind of like what we do. Oh, I mean, and the other thing is too, is let's take another step further is why not take your, your pre-existing business and just add another revenue stream and let that revenue stream be cannabis related uh, clients or businesses. Totally. Yep. And, and one thing I used to joke about all the time within the industry is the lack of staffing companies in cannabis. Totally. Um, like about two years ago, people always ask me, oh, if you could do another business, what would you do? I'm like, if I had an extra 100 to 200 grand laying around uh, and I had the time, I would open up a staffing company because there's a huge demand. And two years ago, there was less than like 10 or 15 in the country. Now I think we're at 30 or 35 or so, which still isn't that that much for the entire country. Uh, when you and I spoke about a, uh, two years ago at one of the NECAN Boston conferences, we talked about website designers in this industry. There really wasn't that many at all. And now Very you start true. seeing people start to pop up left and right. And, uh, and you know, full disclosure, I think you're a great referral source, Will, because you're really focused on that CBD and also canvas sector. And you have enough clients that you know what you can and cannot do. Totally. And, and to your earlier point, like, I think that explosion of, uh, you know, competition or, or I wouldn't say explosion, but the increase of, of competition with, you know, marketers or even web design designers has been, I think, a pivot to cannabis as opposed to what we did, which is start a cannabis company. Yep. Um, but you're absolutely right. Like everyone's starting to kind of kind of figure it out a little bit. But there is value in that concentrated you know, and I, I think about this all the time because I, you know, I'm, I'm, this is my first time being a CEO, right? I have no experience doing it. So I, I look to, I listen to podcasts and I, you know, read what I can. And I, you know, I try to talk to people smarter than I am who've, who've done this a few times um, and, and kind of glean, you know, glean what I can and, and apply it to, to this because I, you know, I wasn't the CEO of a web company that just started to, um, you know, work with cannabis companies. It was important that we do this because, you know, we have a mission, you know, we have a, you know, a goal that we want to do or, or that we have in mind with, with every client that we take on. Um, I want to, we just, we got right into it, man. We just got knee deep into it. That's what I love. That's what I love about these conversations. It's like, you know, I get to talk to people I've known for a while. It was so far um and uh we just get right into it uh, it's the yep. beauty get right into the meat and potatoes i want to go back a little bit because we skipped right over it and <coughs> and this part is important um but you you know you you are you you work in sports medicine um as you you know kind of mentioned so i i want to know and that's important too because you you own a sports medicine, you know, like you own a physical therapy uh, uh, practice in addition to, you know, you're still splitting your time. So I want to kind of go back to uh, younger David Kunick and as he's starting to open up his shop and, and maybe hear about like the, you know, the experience of, of working in sports medicine and then kind of what, what moved you to cannabis other than, you know, probably your love so of it. <laughs> 
so, 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 so great question. And then uh, what, what's the name of your editor? Tyler. All right, tell Tyler to pause. I'm gonna get more water real quick. Okay. Pause. All right, so I was just asking you about kind of your, your journey into, you know, how did you get into sports medicine? Like, tell us about opening up that uh, practice and then, you know, where the pivot happened. Sure. So um, I, I actually, in high school, uh, big time basketball player, freshman year, uh, had a full scholarship to a private high school. Um, I blew out my knee, shattered my leg, and long story short, uh, several reconstructive knee surgeries. I was actually the most popular watch surgery by the New England Journal of Medicine for the lower extremity of 1995. <laughs> I am Congrats. a John Doe. I'm a John Doe. You can, people have done research on my knee um, for what I had done. Um, but anyway, that's how I knew I wanted to be a physical therapist. Um, from there, uh, being the youngest of four kids with a 13 and a half year difference between me and my oldest sibling, um, you know, there's a lot of life lessons you learn there. And maybe I was young and naive, but my goal was to open up my own physical therapy clinic for the age of 30. If not, I was getting out of the field altogether. And my goal was to open up my own clinic, do multiple expansions and to sell everything and to be retired by the time I was 35. Zero ambition. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but you know, that's back when I was 16 or so. And, you know, in hindsight, it wasn't so much more of, the retiring, it was more really kind of looking at more of the financial freedom. But uh, I mean, I started my first clinic at 24 years old. I did six expansions in three and a half years and I sold all my physical therapy practices uh, in the fall of 2013. I was 32 and I achieved everything I wanted to achieve it, pretty much in, in physical therapy. I, I worked with major-, major What's next? Yeah, so- you, were, now you, you know, you, you, you were able to retire essentially, you know, well, pretty close. Well, what's interesting close. is that I, I wish I was able to retire. And also though, that was also good business lessons because the people I sold my practice to, um, like originally my publicly trade company was going to take over my uh, physical therapy clinics and Hurricane Sandy hit in New Jersey and ruined my business. Um, then with the Affordable Healthcare Act, was going to completely change my business model. And I was going to take a, over a 45% decrease in gross revenue in 2014. Because um, hmm. a lot of people don't realize the Affordable Healthcare Act was really going to affect a lot of uh, medium-sized uh, medical practices. When I say medium-sized, generating like less than 5 million a year or so, it's going to really hurt up their insurance reimbursement. So uh, actually when I sold my clinics, I ended up being in lawsuits for a little over a year because they didn't pay us half the money they owed us. So, uh, but I was presented at getting involved in the cannabis industry back in 2009 or so, 2009, the later part of 2009, and that was doing the online information. So as you were working on your kind of exit strategy with the, with the clinics? I actually, I wasn't even working on my exit strategies yet, to be honest. Uh, we were kicking butt, we were expanding, and my business partner, who was also uh, a mentor of mine, was like, hey, we have this great opportunity. Would you like to take a company public? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, let's focus on health and wellness. And I met the people we were partnering with. And uh, long story short, um, they already had an online uh, forum that averaged about 2 million unique visitors a month to it, which is a lot back in 2010. And we were gonna do their health and wellness side of it. But part of it is they want us to cover cannabis. Um, 
from there, I kind of did some more due diligence and I really looked at our medical code of ethics. And if you're a medical practitioner, there are two really important things in your medical code of ethics. One is you are supposed to empower your patients with information and knowledge on all treatment plans. So even if you're not pro-cannabis at all, technically speaking, as a medical practitioner, if that's an option, you have to talk about the options out there for your patients. And the second thing is, in your medical code of ethics, is that if there's a better treatment program, even if, it, even if it's against the law, you're supposed to fight on your patient's behalf on that. Hmm. And I'm really giving you the cliff note version, but I tell people, go back and read the medical code of ethics, and you'll see those two parts in there. So from there, we're producing information. We weren't selling anything. So um, you were, from there- You were content creators. Yeah, content, exactly. Content creators. And we were producing 100 articles every single day, seven days a week. Damn. And we had different experts and in all different industries come in and help out with that. From there, we got um, through mutual contacts and the power of networking. Um, I'm a big fan of networking. Uh, the key to my success has really been the power of networking and having good business ethics and good business morals, which is why people keep wanting to do business with you. Um, from there, I got offered to uh, partner up with a testing lab company at that time, the largest testing lab company in the, in the, in the world at the time. And we worked out a deal where we would be the official uh, franchisee or licensee for every testing lab in the United States for them, except for California. Uh, and then that's how we kind of got involved. At that point, already sold my, then 2013, sold my physical therapy clinics. We're focusing more on the testing lab sector and really developing the testing lab sector. And then now, other- when you, when you talk about, when you talk about your involvement with the labs, like, I mean, to what extent are you, are, you know, is your involvement? Are you a, a you know, are you a financial, uh, are you an investor in these companies or are you, you know, clocking in and, and, you know, trying to, so, uh, you know, develop the teams and, and, you know, well, two part yeah. answer. Uh, the, the, the lab in Denver, we were taking over and we had to hire all new staff, update equipment, like pretty much give it a huge, you know, once over. Yeah. Uh, the lab in Vegas, there's only seven uh, places that got testing labs in the entire state of Nevada. That's a lot. I mean, our, our I'm sorry, that's not a lot. It's only seven for the entire state. And we were right. on those seven. So we had to do that from scratch, hire the team, develop the standing operating procedures, pass all the certification. And, and the funny part was we were in Las Vegas proper. So we had to go through the Alcohol and Gaming Commission. So as I joked around, like if everything went to shit, at least I can go do a blackjack for a living. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was really interesting because to go through that area in Las Vegas proper, because the irony was, is that if our location was literally 500 yards down the road, we wouldn't have to go through Las Vegas proper at all and through the Alcohol and Gaming Commission. Right. Um, so that was from scratch. Oregon, everything was from scratch as well, too. Um, so it was really developing the teams, SLPs, and literally developing a whole business altogether. And each state, you know, every, especially with a testing facility, like, you know, you know, and this is true for most businesses that touch the plant, you know, there's a specific sets of rules. So your standard operating procedures for each location, it was different, you know, I it was the, further. I mean, uh, back, back in the day, Denver or the state of Colorado only acquired like four tests. Las Vegas required, or Nevada required 10 tests. That's a big difference. Big difference. Huge difference. I mean, we also went through the ring morale where we had to, we had a very uh, messy split with the testing lab company we we're partners with because 
they were supposed to give us some of the SOPs. And the state of Nevada came up with tests that the parent company hadn't even developed yet. Mm. So now you're t- making a business decision saying, why am I going to pay someone a $15 royalty on a test that I have to come up with, that my team has to come up with, and why are we going to hand over the intellectual property to the parent company and still pay a $15 royalty for each right. time we do that test? That makes no business sense whatsoever. You just brought up a point that made me think, you know, we were talking earlier about kind of like the the business ethics and and even the the responsibility that falls on the shoulders of, of cannabis entrepreneurs. Uh, so you got this one state that requires 10 tests and this yeah. other state that requires four tests. And I would kind of run into, you know, obviously not the same, but there, you know, we run into things where it's, um, you know, we have to follow whatever packaging creation. Yep. You know, it's a, a perfect example for, for what we do. You know, it, it might be different in Vermont than it is in California or whatever. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we've kind of take upon ourselves is, is almost trying to supersede the responsibility that the states are trying to impose on us. And what I mean is like, you know, okay, so this one state requires 10 tests. How come we don't have 12 tests? And why aren't we trying to roll those out and take, you know what I mean? Like, was that, what, what do you think about that? I, just in terms of like, so, you know, that responsibility and trying to set that bar of transparency. Well, and, and that's where it's interesting. So I tell people in cannabis that are getting involved in cannabis, Colorado's a guinea pig state. And I'm very happy with what Colorado has done, but don't ever compare Colorado to anywhere else in the US. California, as we all joke around the industry, is like a true democracy of cannabis. So whatever happens in California, don't apply it to the rest of the country. Take out Colorado, take out California, and you kind of go from there. And here's a great example. Uh, the state of Nevada, we were ready to open the lab, but the, state of Colorado, but the state of Nevada didn't have their act together quick enough on what was required. So all of us testing labs came together and started the Nevada Cannabis Testing Lab Association. So we worked with the states for the- Exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's but amazing. in Colorado, and this is the part people don't like talking about, and it's just like any other industry. Colorado, the big time growers were fighting Congress and the lobbyists really hard. They didn't want any more testing. They didn't want to pay additional money for testing. I mean, in Colorado, for it was uh, you 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 test it for every strain you grew. That's it, unlimited pounds. In in Nevada, it was we test fifteen grams, fifteen to twenty grams for every ten pounds you grow per strain. That's a big difference in testing. Big difference. And in Colorado, I mean, it, er, in the early days, like. To like five, six years ago, if someone didn't pass, the, the growers would come in and say, listen, if you don't pass us, we're never going to use you again. Or they'll say, hey, great. Can you go in and we fail? Could you please, if we give you some cash, could you please go and change those results? Because we can't lose this entire crop. And what's interesting is that when you look at the larger growers uh, and you look at what they put in their performance for testing, in the years to come, the numbers just don't make sense where they're pushing hard. They don't want a lot of testing done because that cuts into their profit margins dramatically. Yeah, I remember this kind of, uh, maybe it was two years ago at this point, a couple of years back when this, you know, this all kind of broke in the, in the, yeah. in the you know, mainstream media, the cannabis media. Um, yeah, I mean, you see that stuff with every industry, right? You know, there's bound to be the you know, the people who come in and exert their power and, and want to retain control. But, but I think, 
you know, I, I think that it's in all of our best interests for the, you know, those entrepreneurs, those business leaders who don't put profits first. I know that sounds so silly. It, um, it is, but, but it, it, unfortunately, Canvas is going mainstream. And, and whether you like it or not, in Canvas, you're going to have like the Budweiser's and the Coors Light, the Walmarts um, of the industry. And then you're going to have like the microbreweries. You're going to have, you know, a, a great example is this. There is a CBD company that we helped out with. Uh, I won't say what, uh, what their name is because you know who they are, Will. And when we talked with them, we were like, we gave them opportunities to literally make about seven figures a year for their CBD company. But they were honest. They're like, listen, if we make $500,000 a year, we're happy. That's it. We want to be small mom and pop. We want this company to be around for the next 15 to 20 years. And we're very happy if we make 500 grand a year and that's it. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that's fine. And they had, but they had that, that plan ahead of time. Whereas other people were like, listen, I'm going to do everything I want to do because I want to make as much money as possible, as quickly as possible in this industry before things level out. And, and, and you're seeing that side of the sector as well, too. And um, when you go to the big, bigger places like Philly, New Jersey, New York City, you're going to have a lot more red tape. You're going to have a lot more politics. You're going to have a lot more lobbyists involved as well, too. Um, I mean, I, I use the state of Maine as a great example where the state of Maine is pretty much five times the surface area of New Jersey, but literally about a fifth of the population and even when they passed legalization in 2016, it took them literally three and a half years before they allowed their first adult use sale because the people fought and they fought hard against the state government saying, okay, great. Let's have the rules and regulations that benefit everyone. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're already starting to see a little bit of that in Vermont. So uh, as that all happens and unfurls here, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see what happens with it. <clears throat> um, Talk to us about Jersey. Uh, you know, they just passed adult use um, in no this past November, this, this past election. It was one of five additional states that passed um, sure. meaningful cannabis reform laws. So, yep. What's, so, what's happening in the garden state? <clears throat> so a few things. One, um, in general, let's, we went five for five this election. All five states passed that were on the ballot, which... In the canvas industry, caught all of us off guard. We didn't think we were going to go five for five. Right? It was and big. We, it was huge. <laughs> really big. Now, there's a two-part answer for New Jersey. And this is a, a, a piece of, this is a green nugget of information for everyone. If you look at New Jersey, the cost you enter the markets and the time frame it will take to make your money back, you'll make more money investing your money in other states right now. Just plain and simple. Okay. Second part about New Jersey is New is Jersey. That, oh, hold on, is that is that because of uh, just the timelines or what? Why? Okay, so if we look at any, in general any timeline for any state that passes uh, rec, it's usually years. about two years and change till they really start hammering things out. Right. If they've already had a medical program for several years, you already have people who've already lobbied millions of uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars, some are millions. You already have people who've already lined up like the larger multiple state operators, and they already have a stronghold for what the first licenses are coming out, okay? Also too, because of the density of New Jersey and just the economy in New Jersey and the cost into the market, it's simply higher than other states. Yeah. So 
in general, we tell people time, value, money. What are you going to make more money with? What's, what's going to be a better time uh, return of value for your money? Investing in New Jersey right now, and maybe you'll make your money back in three or four years. Or investing in another state. Let your money work for you. Look underneath the hood of the car. Really look at the engine. So now when you do something in New Jersey, you're better educated. And you're better planned. Now, let's take the next part in New Jersey. People are like, oh my God, I got to get in this next round of licenses. I got to get into it. No, you don't. If you look at the pattern at other states that pass legalization, it usually takes about two years or so. The first round of licenses, people overpay for them. And a lot of times, to be very frank, they spend too much money and then they need investors towards the end. So you can right. usually get in the later round. And also too, like look at California, look at Colorado, um, look at Michigan, uh, look at Massachusetts. As the additional rounds of license go out, it's easier and easier to get. Definitely. It doesn't cost as much. I'm not saying the market is coming at saturated, but it's not like a huge price. And I like to use the analogy of penicillin. <clears throat> Back in like 2015, 16, I was quoting on MSN, NBC, USA Today, saying how uh, marijuana is modern day penicillin. And if we look at the New Jersey market, the New Jersey market has less than 15 dispensaries, less than 15 grows. Those people spent a lot of money to get those licenses and to be up and operational. That's like saying there's only 15 hospitals in the entire state of New Jersey that offer penicillin. Now, you're gonna, you think those 15 hospitals or those 15 locations are gonna allow new people to come in and start selling penicillin right away? No, they didn't spend millions of dollars. They didn't have to go through all that hardship. So the current operators are gonna make it as difficult as possible for the new people to come in, which means more time, which means more money. So, I mean, the other thing is too, look, look, look at the amount of licenses that are for sale in other states right now. People that just ran out of capital because they didn't, they didn't plan ahead. I mean, I'll, I'll use as a great example, my Tesla in Las Vegas, we went over budget by 400%. That's a huge number. Big time. It cost us a literally significant six, uh, seven figures more than expected. It's uh, the people from Vermont listening to this podcast are going to be reassured knowing that the <laughs> the, the the contentious points of uh, you, you know the existing medical grows getting in first um, is not unique to Vermont. Nope. <laughs> it happens everywhere. It happens everywhere. Well, so so what kind of um, I mean, what are the early what, what's the early buzz like? What what do you see right now? What are most people who are calling you interested in? Well, let's talk about, you know, let's talk about UCS a little bit. Um, let, you know, so after, um, you know, eventually working up your, your franchise of clinics before the age of 32, um, you were able to, you know, pivot into cannabis and um, eventually, you know, you started doing all this networking. And I want to talk about networking too, as part of, uh, as part of the entrepreneurship uh, you know, the entrepreneur's journey, but what, uh, where did UCS come from? So, um, so UCS is born out of, out of need and, and desire. Okay. And UCS, uh, stands for two things and the cannabis industry means use cannabis safely in the business industry. It's called use common sense. <laughs> um, and so pretty much what happened is this UCS advisors was born out of need and necessity. When I, I raised money for my public company, I raised about $14 million and it took me 63 private investors. That's a lot of people. 
Um, a lot of conversations. Yes. And when you run a, when you're the CEO of a publicly traded company, you're no longer really in charge of your company. Every major decision, right. you have to do a board vote. Uh, long story short, I was asked to step down as chairman of my board of directors for a year. Um, after that year, um, I inherited a couple new board members, which I did not want. And the board would not give me back being the chairman. Uh, with that being said, uh, this is like, well, hold on. I don't want to gloss over this because yeah. this is like the entrepreneur's nightmare, right? This is what, this is what, uh, you know, Walter Isaacs, Isaacson's book about Steve Jobs is all about, right? Like this is the, this is a, a, a business person's nightmare wherein they work hard. They create a company, they go through, you know, rounds of fundraising, uh, probably giving too much control away. Like you almost always giving too much control away uh, and then being essentially fired from one's own company. It's, it's insane. It's, it's something I, I wake up, you know, in, well, well, in look, the middle look, of the night well, with a cold this way, sweat. Well. So, yeah. so well, look at this way. It depends if you're in the private sector or the public sector. And, and, and I'll go back to UCS advisors in a second, but people always say uh, there are private companies. Oh, I want the right investor. I want the right partner. And I go, Okay, are you going to give up voting control? Are you going to give them voting rights? Are you going to do? Are you going to give them a board seat? They're like, oh, what are you talking about? I'm like, listen, if you're a private company, you can still maintain control of your company very easily. Heck, you can give people like 49% equity. I've seen people give up even 60, 70% equity of their company, but they have the voting control of their company. They have 51% majority votes. So there's ways to always get around that. But in a public company, it's much different. And a public company. Um, pretty much me losing being chairman, people ask if there's one thing you could redo. That's the one thing I could redo. I, 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 would, not, uh, I would not have agreed to, to step down as chairman for a year, uh, knowing that I, I was going to get backdoored. But with that being said, I inherited some new board members, which I didn't really care for. They really wanted to bring on a, an investor or two, which in my opinion was going to uh, take too much of, of the company, have his, his claws into the company too deep and really screw us over and our shareholders over. And I got outvoted. And it got to the point where four out of my last five, um, four out of my last five major board votes, I lost. And three or four months later, the board of directors come back and say, oh, Dr. David, we screwed up, sorry. You were right, can you fix the problem? And it's like, okay, I'm now becoming like a scapegoat. So literally, Long story short, 55 out of my 63 private investors all said to me, David, you're getting screwed over. Dr. David, if you go out on your own, we'll follow you in a heartbeat. Don't, don't you worry. You've been great to us. And again, remember, I, at that point, I already started about nine companies, you know, 10 companies, had investors. I made people money. So people are like, hey, we know where you're going with things. Like, we know your track record. Uh, unfortunately, my, my board and so my board was inherited. We just didn't see eye to eye on things. Uh, so with that being said, it, the unofficial stat by Cannabis Business uh, Times was that an estimated 65% of all business owners in cannabis or CBD are first-time business owners. That's a scary number. That's a very, very high number. Most people do not know how to uh, do a pitch deck. Most people don't know how to talk to investors. Most people don't know even know how to even ask for capital the right way. And so... Out of need, that's kind of one of the reasons why UCS advisors came about. The second reason was that if, if you are an average middle-class American here in America, 
you get screwed by the system for investing. Because unless you have over $250,000, most broker and dealers don't want to talk to you and they don't want to show you any deals. If you go to your financial advisor, your financial planner, they can't tell you legally anything in the canvas sector to do because they're not allowed to yet. Now, if you want to invest in the private sector in cannabis, hemp, or CBD, where do you go to? And, there, and, there's, a, and there's that missing niche. So we had a very good track record at finding companies, vetting companies, and getting uh, investors involved with these uh, cannabis companies and CBD companies, whether they're publicly traded or if they're privately held. And in August of 2017, we started UCS Advisors out of need and demand, where as we tell people, if it, took you, if it takes you more than six months to raise the money you need for your company, 99% of the time, you're doing something wrong. Right. So we help out people there. And also kind of like young entrepreneurs like you, first-time business owners, they need more than just a business coach. Because a lot of business coaches are like in a box. They do everything. And there's nothing wrong with that. But this is cannabis. This is CBD. This is hemp. This is a new industry. And uh, here at UCS Advisors, we work a lot with business coaches because we tell business coaches all the time, oh, what if you got your client an extra $50,000 or hundred grand? How much more could they do for their business? Oh my God, they do so much. Well, great. Why don't you help them get the money? But we don't know how. I tell people, if you're a business coach, one of the biggest things you have to work on is finances and lines of capital and lines of credit and how to, how to get investors. So we work a lot with business coaches as well too. Then the flip side, as one of my favorite clients said down in Atlanta, I have this couple, amazing group of people, and they invested in a deal that we recommended back in 2019. And they literally said, Dr. David, we saw you speak at NECAN Boston. We have spent close to $13,000 attending conferences around the country to learn as much as we can about the canvas industry. We learned more from your 90 minute lecture than we did in attending seven other conferences. So pretty much that's where we kind of show people. Now circling that back to New Jersey and New York City, there's a lot of money in New York City, a lot of money in New Jersey. And until um, a, a little company called um, Bank of America, don't have you ever heard of them, started to talk about how many billions of dollars the Kim's industry is gonna be, oh, all of a sudden people wanna start talking to you now. When you see some of these larger hedge funds and you see Bloomberg News, small little company, Bloomberg, don't know if you ever heard of them at all or not, start saying, great, this is what you can do in the cannabis sector or in the CBD sector. All of a sudden, that money started to come in. And people are, are going to their financial advisors saying, great, I have an extra hundred grand. What do I do? Oh, I don't know. Well, this is where we fill that, 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 that void. So, so we're a two-tier company. Uh, we work on helping out startups or companies making less than $5 million or so to get the money to go to the next phase. Um, and we also work with uh, accredited investors, both domestically and internationally. We find them deals to get involved in. Um, last year in 2019, we reviewed over 325 different companies uh, that had pitch decks. And only 12 of them passed our vetting process. This year, we've reviewed over 450 pitch decks so far from different companies, and only 16 have actually passed our vetting process. So let's talk about that. Like, uh, you know, what do you see as good investments? What, what's setting these companies that um, <clears throat> intrigue you or, or pass the vetting process? You know, what sets them apart from the other 
440 40 other companies. Great, great question. And, and several things. One is, as we tell people, failure to plan is planning to fail. If you're going to take someone's money, how are you paying them back? What's your exit strategy? If I'm the investor, Will, and I give you money, how are you paying me back? What's the goal? And don't always say, oh, we're going to get acquired. Yay. Because let's call a spade a spade. Less than 10% of companies get acquired. So there's a good chance you're not going to get acquired. Right. So what's your backup plan? You know, um, so that's right off the bat. You need to have the proper exit strategy for your investors. Okay. The second thing is, is management team. All right. If you've never owned a business before, you've never grown a business before, you've never taken investors before. Well, you're asking someone to take a lot of like, a, like that's like giving a high school senior money. Hey, you've never been to college before. You don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to give you $250,000 for four years of college. And hopefully you'll, 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 you'll do something with it and, and pay me back in time. Like, no, people don't do that. And the other thing is too, people lost a lot of money in cannabis. Heck, I'm one of them. I lost millions of dollars. Like I'll be the first one to admit to it. I, I put a lot of money into my own cannabis company early on in the test labs and I lost it all. Uh, cause I was just too early to the game. So people want to make sure you know what you're doing. Um, like here's a great example. There's a, there's a cannabis hedge fund. I won't say which one. And they only invest in companies that have a minimum of five to seven employees because they want, they know the toughest time is to go from five to seven employees to like 20 to 30 employees. Right. And that's where you really need a lot of help and a lot of guidance. And Definitely. that's all they look for. So in general, have an exit plan for your investors. Okay. You know, work yourself, work backwards. What's the goal? Do you want to have this company for 20, 30 years? You're looking to expand it. You're looking to hopefully be acquired. You know, what's the goal with it? Okay. The, the other thing is too, is that, you know, have multiple options on how you're going to pay back those investors. And lastly, what's your, what's your support system? What's your management team? You know, who do you have for experience? Like, here's a great example. Um, we have a CBD company and the, the guy's not even 30 years old yet. But he set up his company to he to get acquired. And each time he went to an investor, he was very frank. He's like, listen, the minute I get offered $7 million or more for the company, I'm out. I'm selling it. And he was very frank about everyone. And each time he met with an investor, he goes, I come from the liquor and wine and liquor and spirits background. And I know how to do social media marketing. And all he does is social media marketing for a CBD company. People say, Well, how how is he able to raise over half a million dollars? And I can. I go, because he has a clear exit plan for his investors. He also told his investors, hey, after two years of operations, once we hit a certain amount of goals, I'll start paying you a dividend. And three, he's taking his experience in another industry and applying it to this industry. Another yeah. great example is, is uh, we're running with a few grows now, grow operations. And these guys have no grow experience whatsoever, but they they've, uh, know how to raise money. They know how to get companies onto the NASDAQ. They know how to go and acquire and do mergers and acquisitions. And they have that experience. And they're going out and they're raising several million dollars like this because the experience versus <clears throat> someone who says, yeah, I'm going to apply for a license. I'm still looking for a building. Yeah, here are the margins. Well, great. You know, two locations, three, four, five. What's your goal in five years? What's your goal in seven years? What's your goal in 10 years? And they get, oh, I don't know. I can't think that far ahead. Well, that's bullshit. And it's just, unfortunately, this is not 2010 anymore. This is 2020. There's plenty of research out there. 
to look at other cannabis companies. There's enough publicly traded cannabis companies to look at their financials online. So, you know, that's where people are starting to get, be more educated. And here in New Jersey, people, as much as they want to do something in New Jersey, if they take their blinders off, they'll realize they can do a lot more in other, in other states. Totally. And you're just, again, talking about, you know, you know, this team trying to start a grow up. They've, you know, they've never, they've never done that before, but they have, you know, experience, you know, with fundraising and, and starting businesses and that whole thing. And I think that's in a lot of ways uh, equally as important as the people who are growers who are trying to, you know, it's maybe like splitting the difference a little bit and, and um, you know, in terms of, uh, of how to uh, kind of attack growing a business, you know, you can either go all in and sell the sizzle or you can, you know, get the cow and, and eventually sell the steak. Well, it's also being, and it's also being realistic too, where if this is going to be your part-time gig, let people know that for a little bit, like, Hey, you know what? We're, we're starting off slow, you know, and we're starting off slow. And, you know, my goal is to do this full-time in the next year. Okay, fine. Like this is where it's also know your audience. Uh, one of the biggest things we joke around about is if you need less than $1.5 million, you can raise that money on LinkedIn. Yeah, it's not tough if you do it the right way. And the other thing we tell people too, they don't realize is that it's an estimated 10%. However, however much money you need, be prepared to spend about 10% of it on cost. So if you need $1.5 million, be prepared to spend about 150 grand to get that money. Right. And, and that's what really shocks people, you know, yeah, it's the com the combination of the you know the investment or the time investment. Like you you know, you either have an idea that's scalable right now, or you have an idea that's going to you know you have the uh, ability to invest your own time with, and like you said, maybe do part time or start off slow um, and build it off organically. And you know, full disclosure for people listening, and probably most of them already know this, but that's, that's how we started, you know, like, uh, you know, I was, I was taking, you know, <laughs> I was taking can of planners calls on my lunch breaks, uh, or, or, you know, in the stairwell, you know, in secret during, during, uh, you know, my nine to five job. And, and that's how a lot of people start. But I think that, you know, you, you have to understand either, the time commitment or, you know, the cost of doing business and getting it immediately. Um, but, you know, once you get that money, it's about what you do with it. You, you know, you still, you know, you still have to go through the, you still have to make the thing. You still have to do the job, you know, at the, at the end of it. Well, the other thing is too, is you also, you want to get your company investor ready. Like talk about that. So about investor that. ready, investor ready means, okay. I feel yeah. like I'm just getting a free, uh, a free consultation from, from Dr. David right now, but you know, this is important stuff. It is. And, 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 and you know what, you said the word free and I'm going to comment on that <laughs> real quick. There's something we say, if you, if you go to business coaches and business advisors all around the country, they all say the same exact thing. Free only gets you so far. Totally. Okay. Like yes. that, that, that piece of legal advice is only going to get you so far to got to pay the lawyer that totally. counts only give you so much advice still. And, and the one thing about cannabis 
You're talking to a guy who charges hourly. Like I, I yeah. completely get it. You know, yeah, so they're, they're, it's the exchange of energy. It's, it's super important. If you have a goal, if you have something you're trying to do, um, unless you can do it, you're better off paying somebody else for that experience or, or to do it for, for you because you're going to spend way more in the long run. It, it, exactly. And, and to get your business investor ready, it's one clear plan. Now you don't need a big business plan to be very frank, depending on, on, on how, how much money you're raising, you don't need a business plan at all. People are in right. shock when they hear that. It's like, no, you need a one page executive summary talking about what's your goal. What's the opportunity? Why is it needed? And what's the potential return on investment for the investor? Secondly, you need a PowerPoint presentation. That can be as simple as like seven to 20 pages long. Just what's your name? What's your company? What's the goal for the company? Why is it needed? Um, how much money are you raising? How are you going to pay back the investor? And that's it. You know, and if you do that the right way, you can go out and raise money. Then you can go out to your friends and family. Like there's something called your spheres of influence. And if you actually, and you, all, each of us have about 16 different spheres of influence. And if you go through your 16 spheres of influence, you're going to come up with at least 32 to a minimum 48 people you can send this information to. And most people mess up and say, oh, hey, do you want to invest in this? No, you don't tell them, don't invest in this. You know, you got you to do it the right way. Hey, I respect your opinion. This is a project I'm working on. Would you mind looking at this? And I love your feedback. Nine times out of 10, they're going to say yes. And the reason once they look at it, they'll ask you questions about it. And one, then you can kind of answering, you know, you get a conversation with people, but also two, they might say, hey, I might want to invest in this. Hey, this is a good deal. Mm -hmm. Like a great example is there's someone out in Washington state we worked with, they're doing a small cannabis grow and they need uh, 450,000 and they didn't want to go ask their friends and family. I'm like, why not? It's the easiest money you can get. We went through the process and we actually put it in there where minimum investment was $20,000. Next thing you know, uh, within about 60 days, we redid what they needed to do and we raised them about $380,000 in 60 days, all through friends and family because you put together a proper package. And you know they realized, wait, we didn't need to go to these larger investors and take up all the equity and this and that, so. Yeah, I think, and this is something I've, you know, I've, I've found myself getting sometimes uh, caught up in is, is ambition, you know, and thinking that, you know, I need, I need $5 million or, or whatever, when in fact, like, you don't, <laughs> you don't. And, and it's irresponsible, actually, you know, if you, if you try to go get it, because you have to pay that back and, you know, with interest and, you know, if it's just sitting there or if it's not being used responsibly or yep. whatever, um, you know, that's why there's multiple, you know, investment rounds. Oh, exactly. Exactly. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I'm, I'm interested. Okay, as much in time as you work, buddy. <laughs> I'm interested. Mine. I'm interested in 2021, you know, like I, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to be a spectator of you for a few years now. I've, I've seen you grow a few businesses um, in addition to your own. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about New Jersey and, and other states that, are, that have gone or are going legal. What are you looking for in 2021? What's, what's, what's your goal for this year? Um, the goal for UCS advisors is yeah. to pick up for 2021, to pick up another minimum 30 um, individual investors. 
to invest in different deals. Uh, that's our goal is a minimum of 30 more clients, um, which is what we're looking forward to. Uh, the second thing we're looking forward to is we picked up actually a, another very large project in New England. I won't say where exactly yet, uh, which should be a two to three year project, which we're really excited about. Um, I'll announce it here on your podcast. The other big exclusive? news. Exclusive? Yes, I'll give you an exclusive depending <laughs> on this airs is that uh, we are officially opening up our second, uh, technically actually our third office in Portland, Maine, uh, January 5th. Oh, congrats. Thank you. Thank you. So That's awesome. Um, yeah, we're, we're, doing, we're doing a lot of business in New England and it was just time to open up another satellite location up there. That's where so, you and I met. I think we, we met for the first time in Maine. Yes, we did at, at, uh, at Nikan Portland. Definitely. That's correct. Yeah, in, in that sports... Thing. Sports complex, yep. Mm-hmm. The sports complex. So, and then uh, the other thing is too is that we're really looking to uh, di- diversify uh, our investments. Like we're looking at some vaporizer companies, we're looking at some telemedicine platforms. Um, there's some really good, uh, unique opportunities to invest in Michigan, in Oklahoma, right now. This is huge. I don't want to gl- gloss too much over this. This is huge. And again, like in terms of we've touched upon it now a few times, but in, in terms of entrepreneurs listening to this thinking about how they can apply themselves to to this industry um you know these businesses don't all touch the plant correct you know right so so say that again what what i mean tech companies so 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 telemedicine Mm -hmm. um so in, in in telemedicine companies to vaporizer companies to hardware actually um also, we are looking at grows and dispensaries actually in Michigan, Massachusetts, and also Oklahoma. Um, to be very frank, we are steering clear of New Jersey, New York for all of 2021. So until it all kind of settles down and and you know the the process evens out a little bit. Time value of money. Uh, would you rather sit here and make your money start working for you now with higher return on investment, or wait a year and a half to two years? Right. And and overall, I mean we're you know, we're still shaking and baking here in 2020. We're excited for 2021. Um, for UCS advisors, even though we get pigeonholed that we're just cannabis and hemp, in reality, about 65% of our business is cannabis and hemp. 35% is everything else from sports energy drinks to tequila to we're actually working on IMAX movie being narrated by Robert Redford. Awesome. Uh, so like it, it, we're really showing people, hey, there's more than just cannabis to get involved in when it comes to the private sector and different deals. There's a lot of good opportunities out there, but yeah, we're really excited for 2021 and um, you know, we're, we're just really in general, 2020 is a great stepping stone year and we come up with themes to our year every year. Hmm. And the 2021 theme for the year is invest in opportunities. We are surrounded by opportunities. You just have to decide whether or not you want to get your ass off the couch and actually do it. That's exactly right. Because I'll tell you right now, well, Yep. And for everyone listening who's an entrepreneur, you have until, in my opinion, till the third quarter of 2022 to get involved in this sector. If you do not, you can still get involved, but the return on investment is going to keep going down and down and down. Sure, so more, you really it's going to become more now, and more saturated, and and yep. you know that those investment opportunities aren't they're finite. There's only exactly. so many. Yeah, exactly. Before I let you go, I think one thing I'd love to hear from you, because I know this has been such a, and we touched upon it just briefly uh, earlier and I had a note to come back to it, but net, networking, you know, networking pre-2020 was 
you know, normal. <laughs> 2020 was not so normal. Um, tell us about the importance of, of, of networking and how, how it's helped you kind of, you know, we talked about the, the, the weed suit uh, and, and that for sure is a, a marketing, you know, tool that you've used to, to better network yourself and meet new people. Um, what's, what was your weed suit of 2020? Oh, so the weed suit of 2020. In general, um, for 2020, I, for myself personally, I never realized how wide and diverse my network really was, um, how many contacts I had uh, in multiple industries, which I'm very thankful for, both domestically and internationally. Hmm. Um, the one thing I've seen a lot in 2020 is people who say they're good at networking have no clue how to network. Um, if you haven't been networking for years, I'm talking about five, six, seven years prior to 2020, more than likely you need some help and you should take a class. Um, there's actually a company called Network Wise with Adam Connors that actually offers a, uh, a networking like one-on-one tutorial class, which we've referred numerous clients of ours to. So much so they actually gave us our own discount code to, to people that want it. So we'll put it in the bio. You'll, you'll let me know. We'll put yeah, it I'll email the, to you. The description so, of this um, video. You know, it's, it's a class I would highly recommend. I've done it myself too. And to actually get a certification in networking and to have that certification on the bottom of every email, I'll tell you right now, it's a conversation starter. Hmm. Cause I, I have a lot of people say, Oh, what's this network wise certification you have on the bottom of your email tag. And I talk about it. And I tell people point blank, even if you are a professional networker, like for 10, 15, 20 years, you know, the class is still just a good refresher on what to do and what not to do. Sure. So I'll probably say that was my green jacket for this year. And, and half the time it's just showing up. Yep. You know, I, I tell people, even if you only attend a networking event for 20 or 30 minutes, just show up, you know, don't be on your phone, give eye contact, practice your 30 or 60 second elevator commercial ahead of time. You know, I, one of the biggest bullshit excuses I hear is, oh, I guess I probably should have practiced my, my 60 second elevator pitch before I got on this Zoom networking call. Hello, McFly. Yes, of course you should have. <laughs> like, there's no excuse why you can't practice this ahead of time. Like, if you're going to, because one thing about Zoom and just in general networking is it's all about the art of conversation. And if you can't handle, a, if you can't hold a conversation, you don't know how to ask appropriate questions, people are going to see, see right through that. So I can't stress that enough about networking. People ask, what's the key to your success between 13 companies? It's networking, networking, networking. Totally. And the number two is having good business ethics because as uh, one of my buddies, uh, Chris Vaglio, who has a uh, rocket growth agency, which is a personal branding company, he, he's been with me for all 13 of my companies. And about a year and a half ago, I asked him, like, Chris, I go, why do you always refer me business to all my companies? He's like, simple. Your business ethics are great. I don't care what business you're in, but you always have such great customer service and you have such great business ethics. It makes it very simple to refer you no matter what the business you're involved in. And I that really totally can- agree with him. I totally agree with him. And, and also, not only, you know, personally, I agree with him that you, you do uh, adhere to that. Yes, very much so. But also that, and, and especially in the cannabis industry, I, I feel like it's not, customer service is not common, you know, like good customer service yep. uh, is not common. And, and uh, you know, business, business ethics or business acumen that maybe 
you know, we, we've taken for granted as a result of a career prior to, you know, the cannabis industry, it's, it's few and far between. It's, it's for sure different, different now than it was, um, you know, five, six years ago when I first got into this industry. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a work in progress for sure. So being able to do things like, so, so the, the networking thing is part of, part of, you know, uh, an entrepreneurial kind of hurdle that I call it's just stepping outside of your comfort zone. Right. Yeah. So, and, and that's part of it is going out and, and walking up to a stranger and saying, Hey, I'm Will Reed. And this is who I, this is what I do. Let me tell you, let me tell you about who I am. Um, it's super uncomfortable the first few times, but it's the most basic tenet of running a business is you have to be able to have a conversation. You have to be able to, do business appropriately and with ethics and with accountability and all of these things um, that I think are still very much in development in the cannabis industry. So and, it's and, here's, and here's another thing too, Will, about networking. Yeah. And this is the one thing I tell people about in the cannabis industry that's not done enough. Part of networking is following up and delivering. And the amount of conversations that people have, but then they never follow up, you're losing out on opportunities. And that's part of networking is to follow up. And people joke around because still to this day, I go to meetings and you've seen this, well, for the little black notebook and, and, and a pen. And, and people say all the time, like, wow, why do you still have a notebook? Because when we're talking, I want to write down notes of what I got to do to follow up. Yep. And people say, wow, I can't believe you emailed me that introduction to that person you mentioned a week ago. I'm like, of course I did. Yeah. You know, so have, part of networking have... is following up. I have bags full of business cards from dozens of, of conferences and they all, my, I don't have a notebook, but I, my technique is on the back of the business card. I write yep. like mm -hmm. wore a funny hat or, <laughs> you know, was eating oh, yeah. a sandwich when he came to my booth or whatever silly little thing, you know, was from New Jersey. Part of it's all about the follow-up. And the one thing about the cannabis sector, which I cannot stress enough is that we lack follow-up. And we lock and we lack following up and doing the deliverables. And we talk about being business professional, kind of like in the industry. Is that's the one thing we're still hurting a lot with? Is Just and picking up the phone and answering an email. Yeah, I mean, what's yeah. interesting? What, 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 what's interesting is, is, and I'll never forget uh, doing a conference, uh, 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 doing a, uh, a speaking engagement at a campus conference where less than 10% of Americans actually have an active voicemail that you can actually leave a message. But when I asked people in the room, about 90% of people had an active voicemail, which is great. And then when I asked them how many people have an active LinkedIn account that they post at least once a week, well, in general, it's usually seven out of every 10 Americans. Nope. In that cannabis room, it was one out of every 10 people. Totally. And it's like, guys, you're missing out on opportunities. You know, you may not like doing these smaller things, but networking is so key in this industry. And the more and more business professionals have come to the industry, if you're not doing these other things, you're going to be left behind in the dust. Totally. I, I tell my clients, it's a, com you know, the, the, the voice, a company's voice is a combination of a couple of things. And it's the, uh, it's the physical voice, the picking up the phone, the conversations with the clients. And it's also the digital voice. And that's the, uh, the messaging we put out on our social, the, the LinkedIn posts we do, the blogs we write. Um, the knowledge share sort of stuff, but it, and it's so important that you have to, you know, kind of figure out the delicate balance of, of 
what you need to do in order to grow your company, you know, utilizing your physical and digital voice. Um, but you have to use your voice. At the end of the day, you have to use your voice. Exactly. Dr. David, I appreciate your time very You're much. Very tell, tell, the, tell the people where, well, we're getting to that. This is, this is the plugs part of the show. Tell people where they can find you. All right. So everyone, as I told everyone on LinkedIn, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Send me a, a connection request. Love to connect with you. Um, the other thing is too, uh, my website, ucsadvisor.com. Brought Singular. to you by Canada Planners. So they Bingo. do a very good job. Um, but the best thing is ucsadvisor.com, the website, LinkedIn, David Kunick, or you can just email me directly, which is david at ucsadvisor.com. That has been David Kunick. He is the founder and CEO of UCS Advisor, uh, a business leadership organization helping cannabis investors and entrepreneurs fulfill their goals. Dr. David, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been episode four of Common Sense and Mia. We'll see you on the next one. <music>